0: Following Sunday school session is part of our study in the Book of Philemon. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org. So when when you're at the Lincoln Memorial m- Monument, um, on the left-hand side is the Gettysburg address and the right hand side is his second inaugural address. And I've been there a bunch of times and I always go in to read the Gettysburg because it's famous. And I think, second inaugural, who cares? Well, this time, uh, while the other guys were wandering around looking at it for the first time, I went over and I read that. And I was floored, just floored with the biblical allusion and references that Abraham Lincoln made. I know that he wrote his own uh, speeches, and so whether he was in Christ as a regenerate man or not, he was certainly influenced by the Word of God i got the whole thing on the screen here, but I'm only going to have us read the blue parts.
1: One-eighth of the population were colored slaves, not distributed generally over the Union, but localized in the southern part of uh, Fit.
0: Of it, sorry.
1: Fitt. The slaves uh, constituted <laughs> a particular and powerful interest. All knew that this interest was somehow the cause of the war.
0: Okay. Eric, you got the next one. Both.
1: Both read the same Bible... And pray to the same God, and each invokes His aid against the other. It may seem strange that any man should dare ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces. But let us judge, not that we be not judged.
0: All right. And <clears> then, Phil, uh, you get the next, the, the last, last piece. American slavery is one of those offenses which, in the promise of God must needs come, but which, having continued through his appointed time, now he still, now he now wills to remove, and that he gives to both north and south this terrible war. As the woe due to those whom the offense came, shall we discern therein any departure from those divine attributes which the believers in the living God always ascribe to him. So let me read the last part in black there. Yet if God will that it continue until all wealth piled by the bondman's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk. And until every drop of blood drawn with a lash shall be paid by another uh, drawn with the sword. As was said 3,000 years ago, so still it must be said. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So I love it in God's providence when... Paths that are seemingly unrelated cross. So here I was in Washington D.C. a week and a half ago in the Lincoln uh, Monument. I would never gone over to the right side and read the Second Inaugural Address, and here I am preparing to talk about slavery and what the Bible says about it. And bam, there it is. So I feel like this is God saying, "Okay, got to deal with this. Um, it's in the face of our country. It's it will be in your face as a Christian." sooner or later and it's time to deal with it and you know i'm going to give you some homework when we're done uh, to try to help you think through the passages in the old testament but i want to give you some guidance on this before we look at those you whenever i do any kind of teaching i am invariably going to be caught saying context is king and of the rules of interpretation or hermeneutics that usually comes first for most people that to understand what you're reading you need to understand the context within which it's set. And there's, there's kind of three general contexts. There's the immediate context of who was writing and who was receiving it. There was the historical moment that it was set in meaning, you know, what's a society, what's the rules, who's doing what to whom, etc. But then there's the big one and that's the historic redemptive arc of history meaning God's plan to show his mercy and his grace by bringing man into the world, allowing him to fall, and then redeeming sinners through a gracious act of his son's self-sacrificial giving, both in living and earning righteousness, and then dying and taking the penalty for sinners. So whenever you're dealing with a subject in the Bible, know that you've got to find the context. So for, for this whole thing about slavery, theologically there's this path that started from the fall and the curses that were given to Adam that arcs all the way through to the coming of Christ and will finish when he returns but it started kind of fuzzy it was prophetic it was hard to understand and as time went by god progressively added knowledge to people so if you thought of like a um a, sun, a sand an hourglass and lay it on its side After the fall, it's just like everything exploded and God says, your seed is going to crush the serpent's head one day. Okay. And they probably went, I don't know what that means, but Moses wrote it down. And then as it progressed, God explained more and more and more. That seed was mentioned when God made a covenant with Abraham that said, I'm going to save a multitude of people. He didn't tell me exactly how it was going to happen, right? And then the Mosaic Law comes, and so on and so forth. But it's all leading to this crescendo, this moment, this perfect moment in time that God set up for Christ to come. Slavery fits in that context. The loose understanding of scriptural warrant of where things are going to the finite. So you should expect there's sort of a loose understanding of how it was dealt with and a finer one when we get down here to Christ. And I would say that our our knowledge is now expanding as the Holy Spirit teaches us and transforms our mind to think more like Christ. So you always have to set these things in that context. And some people want to come and just say, armchair quarterback, and just say, well, why didn't they know in the Old Testament? Why didn't they just condemn slavery? Why why this? Why that? And I think if you keep that in mind, it will help you rationalize how this all came about. Um, Yes, if God wanted to, Right at the fall, he could have said, I'm sending my son right now, and and Adam and Eve, you need to believe on him, done, we're going to heaven. But that's not what he planned. When he talks to Abraham, there's this multitude of people that are more than the stars in the sky and more than the sands of the sea, and that's huge. And God is doing this huge thing in the universe, and slavery is a little part of that. Historically and sociologically, things started uh, with small groups of people that were dispersed, and they began to come together into communities. And over time, those communities grew and grew and grew, and the way people lived changed. You have to remember that. It was very tribal and dispersed in the beginning. They come together and they work as societies later, and only later. When we try to apply our mindset of the United States of America and all the laws that we have that frame how we live to situations like this, we go awry. We're bringing knowledge that they didn't have. We're bringing New Testament knowledge that they didn't have. And in some cases, they didn't even have Mosaic Law if we talk about the stuff that came before Moses. So sociologically things have changed I mean just think of what we've gone through the agrarian lifestyle, industrial revolution now we're in this information age whatever God brings next he's going to bring us through it and it's going to continue until he says so and then he'll he'll bring Christ back again and there will be judgment and the quick and the dead will be judged and that will be it and and we will go into glory from that point but we're going to go on whatever path God tells us to do Uh, and Slavery may be part of that path. It may continue on. It's continued today. We don't like to t- talk about it. I mean, can somebody think of some ways that slavery is happening today? What's that? Sex, Sex traf- trafficking. Sex trafficking. Huge. Women are being stolen. Little girls are being stolen. Boys are being stolen. And then sold to the highest bidder for sexual favors. Uh, it's just disgusting. And. You would think in this age of you know freedom, uh, women's freedom, and all that kind of stuff, that people would be so hard over on that that they would just they would eradicate it. But they don't. They don't. What other forms of slavery are there? Well, Western Africa still has traditional slavery. <clears throat> <laughs> kind of um, historical animistic Western Africa is still doing slavery. Islam mm-hmm. codified slavery. I mean, you, you're hearing it right now with all the stuff that's going on in Israel. People are like, why is Hamas doing this?
1: Well, in the beginnings of slavery, I think, well, I mentioned in my lesson that uh, hunter-gatherer societies had no need for slaves. They, didn't ha- they barely could get enough food for themselves. They didn't have extra food for extra mouths to feed. But when the agrarian societies began, they could remain on the land season after season. Yep. Then the need for extra hands. But the the biggest source of chattel slavery had always been war. Yeah. So you go to the neighbor's village, you burn it down, you kill most of the men. (laughs) What happens to the women and the children if you don't take them with you and put them to work and feed them and house them? So in a sense, there was a benevolence to that type of slavery because it allowed them to live. Yeah. Otherwise, they would have been bare to the elements, starvation, all manner of things. So in one sense, it began in, with some sense of, of, of goodness.
0: So it's really hard, and I'm glad you did what you just did, Jim, because um, this is where we get in a lot of trouble. is People say, well, it sounds like you're justifying slavery, that good things happen because of it. And I don't believe that's what you were saying at all. But I can understand how other people would say that. Ignorant people would say that. But I believe that you're saying the context was that people lived in hard times. I mean, think about it. If there was no company to go work for, if there was no supermarket to go get your food from, if there was no gas station to fire (laughs) up the car that you didn't own, that wasn't invented, or communication devices, how did you live? Well, the first way that people lived, like he said, hunter-gatherer, and that moved into subsistence farming, where, you know, each family would have their own little plot of land. But like I was saying here, sociologically, as people grouped and made communities, they said, ooh, you know what? If there's a bunch of us, we could farm this big field and get a huge crop and feed everybody. And then somebody said, I own that field. Why should I work it? <laughs> Why should I do that? I'm superior. All the rest of you schlubs, you're going to work it for me. And Whether he called them workers or slaves, it's nuanced terminology, but people had almost no means of earning a living or um, making um, a way to feed their families. Go ahead, Anita.
1: You also have to add the component of evil in there. Call oh, yeah. People wanting what other people had. So they get together with their swords and take over, kill people. Somebody else's stuff. Somebody <laughs> else's stuff. And they've got some neat stuff
0: over there. Let's go get it.
1: Yep. <laughs> it's just evil. I want what you've got.
0: Yeah. Okay, Eugene. One more form of slavery, excessive taxation. <laughs> You're not wrong. No, You're not God. wrong. Uh, and, and particularly if the laws say one thing and then the government does another, Um People, I used to think, well, gosh, why did we rebel against England? They weren't forcing us to do anything unbiblical, but they were keeping us from making a living. Off of they were they were enslaving us by funding their wars with money that was earned on the colonies. All right, there's a spectrum of slavery. There's a bunch out there. I would argue. Let me add a couple more before I go on go on to this. I would argue that if you and me love to have cheap electronics. And we don't care that they're made by fellow Christians enslaved in China, we're part of the problem. Mm-hmm. We, we really have to think that through. Mm-hmm. Our brothers and sisters are enslaved because they won't follow communism in China and they're in prisons and they're working <coughs> and they're being uh, tortured. And we get cheap Blu ray players and iPhones or N- Nike clothes or whatever. I mean, people are being oh, oppressed in really horrific ways by westerners who don't want to look at what we're doing and I know I sound like a leftist here and I'm sorry for that <laughs> but it, it's to your point that men are evil, men and women are evil and we'll do evil if we're left to ourselves we will yeah. just do that and, and we'll look the other way if it's convenient for us, which is kind of weird because we got so much information, we see all this stuff, we can see what's going on in these places, but we don't look um I've heard that before about the, you know, child labor. But what about the ethical, like, context in those countries of, like, their perspective of child labor? What if it's acceptable? Mm-hmm. What if it's acceptable to them? Yeah, like, it's, it's not... Culturally. Cultural. Well, Culturally. if they want to live that way, they can do that. But we shouldn't take advantage of that knowing that it's wrong. Yeah. <coughs> it's, it's like we know that Muslims keep slaves so would we go and, and set up a, a Nike factory in a Muslim country where we know they're going to enslave people? I mean literally the Quran says you're out there to conquer and convert everybody to Islam and if they won't con- convert you kill them, enslave them, or torture them. That, that's the deal.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. So we need choices. You know, I, I don't like buying things from China personally. I think they're evil, and people are suffering there, and I go out of my way whenever I'm buying stuff to try to find something not made in China. It's tough. It's All tough. Right. It's really tough. I found a website, because I like woodworking, that does deals with tools, and it's tools made in the USA. Or i got another one that's tools not made in China. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there you but go. it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. Um, but we can make an impact. All right, so on the spectrum of slavery, it starts on the left-hand side, from what's just known as forced chattel man-stealing. And the Old Testament refers to it as man-stealing chattel. If it sounds like cattle, that's probably a good way to think of it. They're they're thought of as a commodity, um, a unit of labor, and people just go and grab them from wherever Sometimes it could be that they were from a war, and I'll get to that in a second. But when I'm talking about this end, it could be, the chattel slavery of the U.S. where, where pe- and, and Europe, for that matter, where people went to Africa, paid other Africans to capture Africans, and then give them to the slavers so they could take them and sell them as laborers. That's one part of it, right? Sex slave, slavery, same thing. People are grabbed, they're taken, and used. So that's the far end of it. It's forced, it's wanton, and sometimes, it's often racial because we're so bad that we think more highly of ourselves than others and think it's okay if somebody in the lower caste, I use that word on purpose, um, gets taken. The one that Jim just mentioned, forced warriors who are captured and then they have to labor for the winners. And that's caused all sorts of problems in Greek and Roman history when you, know, you have a society that's three-quarters... Um, Slaves that were captured from war. And what happens if guys who know how to fight band together and say, you know what? There's three quarters of us and one quarter of them. Why are we doing this? I mean, Spartacus was all about that. Slaves. He had, how many did you say in his army? 120,000. Captured slaves that were warriors from other nations that had been captured by the Greeks.
1: Well, I think one of the first places we need to go to in Scripture is the story of Joseph.
0: We're we're, well going there. Yes and no. I'll I'll get to that in a minute. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Um, Forced punishment. When people are punished for breaking laws, uh, back then the punishment was slavery. And we read in the New Testament about this where it says you'll be taken to the jail until you pay off everything that you owe. And we get it in our heads of, you know, guys sitting in a, in a jail, jail cell watching TV, but they took them out and made little rocks out of big rocks, and they forced them to do very hard labor, very hard labor. Like, many people died doing that kind of labor when they were in prison. But when they were caught uh, doing crimes, they were often imprisoned. Oftentimes, they, they got into debt, and they couldn't pay it off, and the law required them to go to prison or to be a slave until the amount that they owed was paid. Um, sometimes, people are forced because they don't have an alternative. If you're living in a place that you cannot make enough money to pay for food for your children... You may make choices. And I'm not excusing that. I'm just saying that is a part of what happens. And then you might come to a country where they pay you under the table and abuse you knowing that they can get away with it because you have no recourse.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. When we started this church, I went to a a fella who was a pastor of a Spanish-speaking church. And um, when we merged with the church in Wilderness Park, I knew we had a lot of Latino people coming in, and I asked this fellow, he was a pastor of another church, what should we be aware of? And he said a couple things. If you have people in the congregation that are here illegally, you might see a migration flow based on availability of work. You're going to find that many of them um, live below the radar and are afraid of rising above it. Um, And many of them will have been abused by the legal system, meaning there are people out there that tried to take advantage of them. And I have friends who tried three separate times with people that seemed legit that took thousands of dollars from them and then threatened to turn them in. Mm. And so they just went, they went to ground. So this kind of stuff happens and um, we live amongst it and we benefit from it in cheaper labor. There's all these forces at work where people are willing to look the other way and say, Well, I want that, so I'm going to allow that. So that's another part of forced labor. Now I'm going to get to the willing ones. Sometimes you got debt and you got to repay it, and there, you had no other means, so you would sell yourself as a slave to who you, who you owed the debt to. Um, sometimes you were a willing, compensated worker. We read about Jesus saying, that There was harvest time, and they would go in the marketplace, the owner of the field, and say I need people to go out and harvest. And they would come, and then you go back out and get more, and more, and more. These were people that were willing to labor uh, temporarily. And, and in agrarian society, especially wheat or corn-based, you have a big chunk of time after you plant where there's a little bit of tending, but not much stuff is going on, but harvest time is big. And you need a lot of backs out in the field. So this was a a come and go kind of um, wandering set of, of people that were working there. And the last one on the, on the far end is free, self supporting, wealth generating people. I mean, that's kind of the spectrum of what's out there. <clears throat> uh, to Jim's point, agrarian life, and, and Nita, you brought this up too, requires a lot of hands. When people were out conquering, they c- captured a lot of people and they brought them back as slaves. Today we have uh, indulgent virtue-signaling societies that want to hide um, sex trade and low-wage slavery. Hmm. It just it goes on and on and on. All right, enough of my ranting.
1: Uh, I am told that in the Industrial Revolution, we have a phrase that we or a word that we use called the boogeyman, mm-hmm. and that was, as I understand it, extrapolated from the term burgerma. Bergerman. And the Bergerman was the town man. And uh, mothers in the rural areas would scare their children into obedience by saying, the Burgerman will get you. <laughs> and the Burgerman would take children from the rural areas and put them in the factories oh. in the industrial cities. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there was, during the Industrial Revolution, there was some of that going on as well.
0: So one part of my homework for you is do a search on the internet and write Christianity and slavery, or Bible and slavery and see what you come up with. So, Time Magazine had this article not too terribly long ago about Christian slaveholders and how they used the Bible to justify slavery. And they said that there were two favorite um, passages that they used. Uh, Genesis um, 11, the story of Noah's son, uh, Ham, and his son, Canaan. And this one gets really convoluted, but basically after the flood, Noah gets back, he has a vineyard, and he gets drunk, and his son, Ham, comes in and sees him drunk and naked and kind of goes out and, and mocks his dad for the buffoonery of being drunk and naked. He tells his brothers, and his brothers are ashamed for him they take um, a sheet and they walk in backwards, not looking at their father's shame, and they cover him up. When Noah comes to his senses, he hears what his son Ham did, and he curses Ham's son Canaan. Mm-hmm. And he says, You're going to be a slave to your people. Now, somehow, some way, some people said Ham was a black man. These are all the sons of Noah. No proof of that. No proof of it, but that became the passage that everybody liked to use who were slavers to say blacks are fair game to slave against.
1: Well, the the only truth in that is that Japheth went into Europe, and Europeans are Japhethites. Shem was Asian and went east, and Ham went south, so... They could speculate that those in Africa, because Ham went in that direction, would be black. But, I mean, talk about a jump from cursing one son <laughs> for one thing to spread that out onto a whole entire uh, generation. Nice. Oh, nice. The other
0: one that they used a lot was, and, and we read versions of this when we were in Philemon, was um, in the epistle to the Ephesians, the chapter five, uh goes through the whole submit yourself section and it ends with slavery. Colossians has a, a part in there too. Colossians was the corollary to Philemon. So there's these admonitions to slaves to obey their masters. Um so people would use that. Now I got the second one on the page there, um and it's a a Christian website called Got Questions and mm. They basically end their little first intro statement with why does the Bible not speak out strongly against slavery? Why does the Bible, in fact, seem to support the practice of human slavery? And in reading the pieces that we're going to read in the Old Testament, there were things that were very disturbing. And I, I can say that I probably have read them multiple times, probably on a reading program where I was going to get through Leviticus, or I was going to get through Deuteronomy, or I would get through Gen- Genesis. And I didn't really think about it, I really didn't study it, but I love these moments in time where God makes me study something that I was just reading to be done with reading it, and now I have to look at it. And there are parts that are hard to read. There are things that are said in the Old Covenant that I was kind of baffled when I heard them, and um, particularly in the Mosaic Law, and we'll get to those, but... We, we have to know them and we have to own them. They're God's word. Mm-hmm. And there is a ra- rationale whether we understand it or not, uh, but we have to face it. And invariably, the pagans that want to tear down Christianity, they know the bad verses, right? What's the first thing anybody says to you when they find out you're a Christian and, and you mention something about sin? Judge not, lest ye be judged. Yeah. I mean, it's out of their mouths, instantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if they've done any studying at all, they probably go to a website that says, what are the bad verses in the Bible? You know? yeah, yeah. And they get those, and they arm themselves with them. And it behooves us to know what they are and be ready. But take a look and see what the internet says on that kind of stuff. All right, so Old Testament text on slavery. And I do not believe I'm going to get through all of this today. Pre-fall, the garden there was no slavery as a matter of fact it was optimal conditions for agrarian life there were no weeds everything grew nice um, it, it was not a hard toil compared to what God said the curse would bring they were just able to live at peace with each other and with all of the animals and with God Prior to sin, there was no thought of enslaving one another. You know, people would want to say, oh, women are slaves to men, and, and Adam was given a slave. No, he was not given a slave as a woman. He was given a partner, help uh, a help me, uh, a, a match, the right, the right match for him, like everything else had. When God was punctuating the fact that he gave that match to everything else, and then at the last, he's going to give man that match, too. And they were, they were both the image of God. Male and female, he made them in his image. So there's no slavery in the male-female relationship. There are roles, and there are roles from the beginning. The fall. Slavery isn't mentioned right after the fall. But when God curses Adam and Eve, does anybody remember what the curse Adam had? I just alluded to it a second ago. What God cursed Adam with? 25. What's that? By the sweat of your brow. Earning his
1: bread, yeah.
0: He's going to have to work hard now to earn his bread. It's not going to be easy, and there will be things that will rise up to oppose him in, in those efforts. It's going to be hard. Eugene? He'll want
1: to dominate his wife.
0: He's going to want to dominate his wife and be a lazy sack of goo, and she's going to want to rule over him. And enmity was stirred up between them because of the sin that they... Expressed in rebelling against God, they had enmity towards each other. God didn't force that on them; they did it to themselves.
1: That's
0: sin. So, though there was no slavery per se, the whole motif of wanting somebody else to do your work for you—it's set up by this. You can just see people saying, "All right, I've got this big plot of land now." Like I said earlier. I'm going to get these other schlubs to come and do this for me, and then I'm going to sit back and watch. Because I own it. And I'm superior. Alright, the flood. I mentioned that, and this is really weird because there are, are discussions of slavery, but if we think of the flood time, we don't have a lot of indication of what the society was like. Historically, I know Jim looked back at it and there probably was slavery. There had to be enough slavery that when um, Noah cursed uh, Canaan and said he was going to be a servant to his brethren, he understood what that meant.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, you could argue, well, okay, did Adam and Eve really understand dying? You would die when God said to them, You eat this fruit, or die the day you do, you die, and you're going to die. Not, not going there right now, but they understood servant and the problem we have as we go in, it's this right, the right place to address it. The word servant in the Latin translation is the same word for slave. When you go to the Septuagint, it gets a little more nuanced and sometimes it could be slave, sometimes it's servant and it is really hard to know. And, and I... I would leave it to you other guys that like to study words uh, to tell me more clearly on this. I couldn't figure it out. The commentators I read were this way and that way, and they said could be servant, could be slave. I think given what we said about how people lived, um, you could view it as either. Uh, I don't think it was chattel slavery per se unless there was some war and they were captured. If anybody has any other thoughts on that, this is the first time that the Old Testament mentions slavery or servanthood within the people of God. Job. Job is really hard to place, too. Um, I read somewhere that there's a reference in Job 22 to a flood wiping things out. And it it doesn't say a worldwide flood. and it doesn't say wiping everything out. It could have meant a flood that was localized that so wiped somebody's stuff out. But a lot of people thought that it meant that that happened after the flood. So I'm flowing with that and... No pun intended, and going with Job after uh, the flood. So there were three passages in Job where this word "servant," which could be con- turned into um, "slave," is mentioned. Um, Jim, can you read those first two? One, one, uh, One three and one seventeen. Job, he owned seven
1: thousand sheep, three thousand camels, five hundred teams of oxen, five hundred female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in the entire area. In verse 17, while he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with the news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who escaped to tell you.
0: So that all, if you took what I said earlier about it could be slaves or could be servants, you could say, oh, Job had slaves, but um, I think the scripture corrects that thinking in this case, anyhow, by verse, uh, chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, it says, this is Job speaking now, he's he's speaking back to his accusers, his friends, and he says, is not all human life a struggle? Our lives are like that of a hired hand, like a worker who longs for, for the shade, like a servant waiting to be paid. So here he uses the word servant in the context of someone being paid. So, mm-hmm. you know, pressing this too, too hard one way or the other, you probably can't go there. Could have been slave, um, but it seems like a paid worker. Now we're going to turn hard into a lot more stuff that the Bible talks about slaves. Uh, or, you know, I'll, I'll get there. Abraham. So Abraham's made this promise that he's going to get a seed and innumerable children from all over the world. And he had servants or slaves. He had two of them that are mentioned by name, and we know a lot of their stories, uh, Eliezer. And there's uh, extra-biblical Jewish writings that say that Eliezer had been a servant of Nimrod and that Ooh. Abraham bought him from him. I just threw it in there just because somebody said, I don't take that as biblical But um, nobody really knows where Eliezer came from. But he's Abraham's lead servant, right? Um, We'll get to him more in a little while. But um, there was also Hagar. She's Sarah's handmaid. And she gives her to Abraham to have a child with through sexual union. Even though they'd been promised that God would give them a child through Sarah's womb, Mm. she does this. There's no mention of whether Hagar gets a say in this. It just happens. So in in one sense, it seemed a little extreme for paid servitude. Um, it was a normative thing to have surrogate mothers in high society in that whole uh, eastern area. So it's not unheard of. It wasn't like something that came out of the blue, like Abraham and Sarah just thought that up themselves in Hammurabi's code. There's something mentioned about surrogate mothers. So we know that the Hittites were doing it too, not excusing Abraham and Sarah, but just saying, all right. So this one was fascinating to me. I never saw this until looking this up, but here's the account of God speaking to Abraham and cutting the covenant with him. Um, Monica, will you read uh, one through six? Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous
1: because of his faith.
0: Now, I had never noticed how many times the referencing of the servant came into this. Mm-hmm. And I looked into the Hebrew word, which I am not a Hebrew scholar, so the best I have is some online tools. And this word, again, uh, could have meant slave. It it actually was identified as probably the word slave. Um, I don't know. That was one online tool. Somebody else could do a better study of that. Mm-hmm. But so is there any way to
1: find out, was that actually the law in Israel that the servant would inherit? I mean, today in today's age, the wife would automatically inherit. Right. right. Of course, women didn't inherit then, but at least a family member should have inherited.
0: So that was um, one of the nuances in the word, is it said it could be a slave who was born in the household. Mm-hmm. So Eliezer... Would have had to be born into the household of Abraham according to that mm-hmm. comment, but I'm I'm not confident enough about that. Eugene? At
1: this time there was no Israel, right? So Right. Um, yeah.
0: Right. There's no Mosaic law. Right? Yeah. Abraham has no law. He only has conversations with God.
1: And he says Eliezer well, was from Damascus.
0: Right. That's where he was from. Now Damascus is in Syria, modern-day Syria. Is that right? Mm-hmm. All right. So I don't know where Nimrod was and why they said Nimrod was his root. But Ur was east of Damascus. So, well, and, and Abram was a Chaldean. Yes. So
1: maybe it's a Chaldean tradition or a Chaldean law.
0: I, I don't know. Because his law would trump Eliezer. He seems <laughs> hard over on it that if he dies without a uh, blood heir, yeah. everything goes to Eliezer. Yeah. And it, it seems like the, the oldest um, ranking male that's in the household gets everything if there isn't a blood heir male. Mm-hmm. And God says, no, no, that's not what's going to happen. It isn't going to be your servant or your slave you're going to have your own heir. And remember Abraham, Abraham or yeah, Abraham at this point cuz he calls him Abraham at this point. Um, he's getting close to 100. He's probably about 85, 90 at this point and God's making this promise and he believes God and God counts it as righteousness for him. But it doesn't end there. If you read on farther, I mean, this is the beauty of God being sovereign and knowing everything because he's planned everything and he will cause everything to come to pass the way he wants. Um, Eric, can you read 13 through 16?
1: Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for four hundred years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to to this land, for the sins of the um, immigrants do not yet warrant their
0: destruction. I remember when Ed was doing Daniel and talking about how God is revealing to Daniel what's going to happen, and he's giving these very obvious depictions of nations that are going to rise and, and we see it and it tracks perfectly with history and, and here he is doing it hundreds of years before it happens and then we see it happen. This is another one. This is God saying, I've got this. You're going to have an heir and it's not going to be hunky-dory for you all the time. I'm telling you now that your people are going to go into slavery. 400 years. They're going to be oppressed for 400 years. Now, how, how much time passed between Abraham and um, Isaac and uh, the sons of Israel going into Egypt? Anybody know? So it's three generations, right? So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And I don't remember the ages of each of them. But I think cumulatively, you're looking at 150 to 200 years between this moment in time. And when the people are going to go into slavery, so let's just let's just discount it on the the smaller side. Let's just say God's a hundred years before Abraham has this son, and he has a son, and he has twelve sons. That he says, in a hundred years or so, your your people are going to go into slavery, and they're going to be there for four hundred years. Now he's now using the word slave, so it makes me think. There's something different between the words that were used when Abraham's saying servant and God uses the word slave here. So that's why I'm not going hard over and saying every time you see servant, it means slave. I think this one kind of defines it a little better. There was some servitude that Eliezer and Hagar had. Maybe one was a slave, maybe one wasn't. But God is telling Abraham, your people are going into slavery abject slavery, and it's going to last 400 years, and then I'm going to come get them. So, (laughs) slavery has played a role in the history of the Old Old Testament. Next week, when we come back together, we'll look a little bit at Joseph, but we're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about the Mosaic Law, and and here's some passages that I'd like you to read, if you can, Exodus 21 and 22, Leviticus 25, if you read those three chapters. And just take note of what it says about slavery. You're going to see an, a lot, a lot there that you didn't know was there. I didn't know. Maybe you do know. Maybe, maybe you have. Uh, you were actually studying and not just skimming and reading fast like I was when I went through these things. So, all right. That's it for today. Thank you for joining us and listening to this Sunday School Session. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org.